0: All right, let's open up our Bibles. We're continuing our series we've been in called 714, a call to prayer. Open up your Bible, 2nd Chronicles chapter 14. I've entitled the message this morning, a pull to self-reliance. The pull to self-reliance. We're going to look at a not so well-known king in the Old Testament. His name is Asa. Say Asa. So Asa, here's a commentary of Asa's 41 years of leading in the nation of Judah. So Southern Kingdom of Judah he was a king for 41 years. The first 36 years. Here's the commentary 2nd Chronicles 14 verse 2 and following. Esau did what was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. Now, if you know anything about your Old Testament storyline, that should cause you to sit up in your seat a little bit because that's not a common commentary on the kings as you go through the chronicles, right? So, often you don't read that line. Just to give you a little batting average, only eight out of the 20 kings in the southern kingdom of Judah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Eight out of 20 strong for like batting average for the World Series, 400. Not so good if you're leading a nation, right? Only 8 out of 20. The northern kingdom of Israel, 0 for 19. Horrible batting average, horrible, right? You're not in the leagues, 0 for 19. So, Esau, he's kind of a not your average guy here. He's in the minorities doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord to the point, look at the next sentence, he removed the foreign altars and the high places, smashed the sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles. So notice the language there, right, that's used, removed, smashed and cut down. Here's a picture of some of the objects he was dealing with. These are images of the Canaanite kind of worship objects and worship traditions. There were high places called sacred stones, they build altars, they do all kinds of sacrificial systems. And then this is called an Asherah pole. It was cut out of a tree to the goddess of the Canaanite religion. And they would do all kinds of religious sacrifices around these Asherah poles and these high places and these sacred stones. And it represented kind of this picture of their heart going away from Yahweh, the one true God. It was being lifted up to all these other wrong things and wrong places. We we don't have Asherah poles and sacred stones, but we all struggle with bowing down and giving our heart over to other things that God would not want us to give our heart to. That's what this represented. God wanted full devotion of their hearts to Him, to love Him with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength. Instead, they were bowing down to these things. So, Asa steps on the scene, and he begins to lead. He sees these things, and he declares, we're no longer going to go in the direction we're going. How many of you know at some point in this journey with Jesus, there's an engagement of your will that says, no longer? I'm no longer going to go the direction I'm going. I'm no longer going to do the things I'm doing. I'm no longer going to bow down to the things I'm bowing down to. When you, when you hit that place, you get to this place. Cutting down, smashing, and removing. That's Bible terminology for this principle. Repentance precedes renewal. That's the first principle we're going to see out of life. We're going to look at three principles from his life today. Do you know repentance precedes renewal? Meaning, repentance is a Bible word for cleansing. For turning, Do you see the act of repentance for Esau was, hey, cut down those high places, smash those sacred stones, remove those Asherah poles. That's the first movement of repentance when you begin to see things that need to change in your life. And you say, there's this awakening. Your eyes are open to say, I don't want to keep living the way I'm living. I don't want to keep going down the road I'm going down. I don't want to keep bowing down to what I'm bowing down to. That's the first movement. And if we long to see renewal in our own hearts, renewal in our church, renewal in our nation, renewal in our world, repentance is a movement, a cleansing movement towards renewal. And I suspect some of that's going on in our 40 days of fasting and prayer. At least I hope and pray it is that God might be stirring up and exposing some high places in our lives. He might be exposing some things that need to be torn down. Some directions we were going that we don't need to be going anymore. Some priorities we're keeping we don't need to be keeping anymore. Any of that going on? I hope and pray so because then we follow Esau's example of you don't just smash and remove and destroy. You do do that, but then you also notice what he said. The second part is they cut him down. Verse 4 says, seek the… He commanded Judah. He's telling the nation, smash these things, cut these things down, remove these things and turn and seek the Lord follow this now. Repentance only makes sense in the Christian life this way. When you turn from one thing, you have to turn to something else. So, you turn from the way you were going, and we turn to the Lord. So, you say, I'm not going to keep living my life for myself this way. I'm not going to keep bowing down this way, and I'm going to turn to the Lord. I'm going to seek God. Do you see that's an act of repentance? You say, I'm going to turn from whatever was occupying old ways, old life, old self, and you turn to the Lord. And the picture is there's this cleansing and renewal work that happens. Amazing. It's part of the picture and example like when we were witnessing baptism, even this past Monday we were all together watching that, there's this picture of cleansing and renewal in the waters of baptism. Many of you participated in this over the past month or so. Some of you, backyards at the Kenworthy house and other swimming pools around Zionsville, right? We've been seeing people go in the waters of baptism and come up out of the water. Do you see this? Repentance precedes renewal. There's this cleansing and washing and renewing. There's this tearing down. There's this engagement of your will to say, um, I'm done going the direction I've been going. I'm turning to the Lord. That's a key part for renewal to happen. Now, I want you to see what happens here in Esau's life. Here's how it manifests when he has thrust into some circumstances that were really hard. Jump down to verse 9. Zerah the Cushite marched out against them with a vast army and 300,000 chariots. So, that's kind of day in the life for the kings of Judah that day. So, there's always some it around them marshalling troops against them. That's just normal, like, everyday life for their, this time, 300,000. That's a pretty good-sized group coming at you. And now I want you to watch what he does. Verse 11, Asa called to the Lord his God and said… Notice he didn't schedule a strategy meeting with his military leaders. Later on, you'll find out in the text, he had 300,000 military um, chariots himself. He had, so, he had an army of 300,000. The Cushites had an army of 300,000. It was kind of a one-on-one battle. It would have been easy for him to simply call the military generals together. Hey, take care of this. It's one-on-one. Go take care of them. He didn't do that. He chose not to rely on the wisdom of man, but watch what he does now. He seeks God, and here's a recorded prayer of Esau's. Lord, there is no one like you to help the powerless against the mighty I think the Lord brought someone to church today, hear that sentence right there, that there's no one like God to help the powerless against the mighty. Church, how many of you know that God's address is found at the end of your own rope? You know that's where you find God, right? There's no one like God. When you feel powerless and up against something, God is mighty to save. If you come in today and you feel like, I'm at the end of my rope, I can't figure out how I'm gonna get through what I'm going through, I can't imagine, I can't see, I don't know, I can't handle this, God's address is found right there. And follow Esau's example, huh? He's po right? If you're feeling powerless against the mighty, you're feeling like a, three, a, a troops of 300,000 coming against you? Look what he does. Powerless against the might. Help us, O Lord our, our God, for we rely on who? On you, and in your name we have come against this vast army. In your name. Do you see that? Not in the 300,000 of our own troops. In your name we're going to take care of these 300,000 Cushites. O Lord, you are our God. Do not let man prevail against you. You. How powerful is that? Do you see the circumstances are powerless against the mighty and Esau's response is, Lord, we rely on you. Wow, that picture. Do you see how the repentance that was happening, that he was leading the nation is springing into renewal and moves us into the second principle here. Renewal manifests in this deeply rooted dependence on God. Do you see that? This prayer in verse 11 is the language of someone who's depending on God. Remember how often we talk about prayer around here, right? Prayer is the posture of someone who depends on God. Or another way I've said it in my life, prayerlessness indicates self-reliance in my life. Like when I'm I just relying on myself versus depending on God, it manifests in prayerlessness, but here's Asa. He's got 300,000 Cushites coming at him. His response is, I'm going to call a prayer. I'm going to seek the Lord. I'm going I'm to call out to God. I'm going to say, Lord, we rely on you. We're powerless against the mighty. Come through and come for Come through for us. You see this? And I wonder if what's going on in our 40 days is some of this. Where some We come up against some things we feel powerless against the mighty. And the Lord's saying, hey, I'm trying to get you to shift from this ways you've been relying on yourself and these uh, rely and turn to me rely on the lord Just a couple weeks ago i was listening to an interview some of you may recognize the name natalie grant here's a picture of natalie grant and her husband bernie herms natalie grant's a well-known gospel christian uh, music recording artist and she's won so many awards crazy number of awards and her husband bernie is an equally accomplished like music producer and so, Bernie was hanging out, they were, co- he and Brad Paisley were like college classmates down at Belmont University, wrote and played a bunch of music in their college days together. So, they've been crazy connected through the music world. Well, in 2017, Natalie Grant was diagnosed with thyroid cancer. And she told the story in the interview about going in and meeting with the doctor, he, she and Bernie together. And the doctor began to describe that the tumor was sitting on the nerve that basically handles her vocal cords. And the doctor said, depending on how intertwined this tumor is and how the surgery goes, your musical career, may, this may be the end point. You might not be able to sing again. And Natalie, in the interview, talked about not just the crisis of the physical challenges of the cancer, but she talked about the crisis of who are you when what you love and what you've been known for is removed. Wow. Wow. She said she had to wrestle with like, who am I if I can't sing? Who am I if I can't perform and obviously performing songs that honor God? Who am I if I can't do all that stuff? And I wrote down two sentences that Bernie shared in the interview that I thought were especially pertinent that magnified this principle that Esau is modeling about dependence on God. Here's what Bernie said when they're sitting in the doctor's office and he outlines the news and the treatment plan says, wherever we think we're heading, God is already there. And the second thing he said, we want to know the outcomes, but God was saying this, you won't have all the answers, but you'll have me, and that will be enough. That's the vocabulary of a deeply rooted dependence on God. And I think there's some of you listening today that you feel like Natalie and Bernie in the doctor's office. Some of you have literally been in a doctor's office and literally had some conversations like this. Others of you in your own kind of metaphorical doctor's office conversation, you've been thrust into some things. You've been staring at some circumstances. You've been looking at a vast army coming against you. You've been feeling powerless against the mighty. You've been staring at that. And God wants you to know today, wherever all that story's heading, God's already there. He's already there. And you may not know all the outcomes as desperately as we want to know how these things are going to work out. He just wants us to rest in this, that He's there and that will be enough. And I think this is a good word for our nation right now. So, listen, gang, over the next ten days as we head into election cycle, wherever this election lands ten days from now, here's what we as a body of Christ have to rest in. God is already there, okay? God's already there. And however it all turns out, He'll be with us and that will be enough. So let me be clear about a couple of things as we approach the election. As a church, no matter where you land on the political aisle, no matter how you handle voting, which I hope and pray all of you exercise your right to vote, that's an important part of being a citizen of this country. We should head to the voting booths and work through the Yes. But no matter where you land on the political aisle, no matter what buttons you hit in the voting booth, you are welcome at this church. Because we as a community are committed to this. We as a community are going to view our politics through Jesus and not Jesus through our politics. I'm going to say that again. As we go to the polls, no matter where you land on the aisle, no matter where, how you're going to handle it, we as a community are devoted to see our politics through Jesus and not Jesus through our politics. The other thing is, Let's all agree to this. Can we all have some humility and grace with each other to recognize that people who deeply love God and are committed to Christ simply see things differently on these issues? And can we have enough humility and grace to say, hey, it's okay that we see things differently. And just because we see things differently doesn't prevent us from being a family in Jesus' name together. Can we agree to that? So certainly the call to prayer during these 40 days is a call to prayer for our nation, call to prayer for our leaders, call to prayer for this important election coming. Absolutely. But church, we've got to rest in this. On November 3rd or whenever we find out who's winning the election, it could be November 23rd for all, whenever we find out, okay? Okay. You might wake up and be super excited. You might be super discouraged. You might be super conflicted about the whole thing. Wherever you're at, here's what I want you to anchor yourself in. God is already there. He's the sovereign Lord of heaven and earth, and that will be enough for us. And our hope doesn't rest in an elected office. Our hope rests in the King of kings and the Lord of lords. He will work out His sovereign purposes, no matter who holds whatever office as Esau is learning right here, that we're going to be a people who continue to pray for a posture of humility, of repentance that precedes renewal, and a renewal that has a deeply rooted dependence on God. Wouldn't it be something that a wave happens in 2020 that the nation, we look back and we see the spiritual trajectory of North America. Could it be that God brought North America to her knees in 2020? Wouldn't that be an amazing declaration of this year? He brought us to our knees in deeply rooted dependence on God and perhaps an awakening to some high places and sacred stones and asherah poles that for a long time need to be smashed and taken down and declared and called what they are and to say, we're not going to keep living the way we've been living. We're not going to keep doing what we've been doing. We're going to seek the Lord. What might happen in our land, church? Wherever all that lands... Here's what we're going to rest in. God is already there. That's true for us collectively. That's true for you individually. So, for the first 36 years of Esau's life, this was his commentary. This was how he lived. If we could just stop Esau's story right here, he'd go down as like one of those spiritual giants all through the scripture that we look up to. And there are certainly aspects of his life that are admirable, but. Like all of us, we're kind of a mixed bag. The last five years of his life got the mixed bag part in. You're like, you read it, you go, huh? How do we go from that to this? Well, I know for me, sometimes that's my I like it. How do I go from that to this? I'm kind of a mixed bag. So fast forward now, we're 36 years into his reign. Here's how the last five years of Esau's life went. Flip ahead, two chapters. Chapter 16, 2 Chronicles, verse 2 and following. Another ite has formed and coming against him, marching day in the life. Esau then took the silver and gold out of the treasuries of the Lord's temple. So, he goes to the Lord's offering box and sends it to Ben-Hadad, king of Aram who was ruling in Damascus. He says, let there be a treaty between me and you as there was between my father and your father. See, I'm sending you silver and gold, by the way, out of the Lord's offering. Now break your treaty with Basha, king of Israel, so he will withdraw from me. Wait a minute. Are you tracking with me here? So, he's bribing the king of Aram, forming a treaty with him, so he'll like call off these other ites that are pressing against him. What? Here's the Lord's commentary on this whole thing. God's got something to say, shocker, on this. So, God said, verse 7, at that time, Hanani the seer. Seer is an Old Testament term for prophet, one who listens to God. Basically, God will turn to a seer or a prophet if the king or the leaders aren't listening. God will raise up a prophet and send the prophets to the kings. Now you know why the prophets' lives were generally not very nice. I mean, they usually didn't deliver the best news, and they usually weren't, like, welcomed all the time. You see why? Nobody was running around saying, oh, I want to be a prophet. That's why I get so nervous when somebody puts up a billboard and says, prophet so-and-so coming to town. I thought, oh, Lord, that's, that's about as far away from the way I understand. The prophets were trying to, like, Lord, pick someone else. Hanani was one of those guys, and so Hanani, he goes with this word to the king. Here's what he says, to the king of Judah, Esau, because you have underlined relied on the king of Aram and not on the Lord your God, the army of the king of Aram has escaped from your hand. Were not the Cushites and Libyans a mighty army with great numbers of chariots and horsemen? That's a reference to what chapter 14 we just read. Yet when you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Do you see that? The word, frequently use the word rely. I put in your notes, it comes from the Hebrew word sha'on. It means to lean on or to draw support from. Wow. So here's God saying, wait a minute, Esau, you used to lean on me. And now what do you, now you're bribing Aram and forming a treaty with them? Esau, you used to call a prayer meeting, and now you're like forming a treaty and alliance. Esau, you used to trust that I could handle the Kushites and the Libyans and all those others, and now you're freaking out and taking money out of the treasury and buying off and bribing. What's going on? Do you see that? Listen, and into this setting, here's the most frequently quoted verse in 2 Chronicles 16, perhaps hanging in your home somewhere as well frequently quoted. Verse 9, for the eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to Him. I've seen that verse posted a lot, just not the second sentence. The next sentence, you have done a foolish thing, and from now on you will be at war. That's not on our walls at home. We just stop at the first sentence. But the context is, The eyes of the Lord, you see, God speaking and saying, I'm looking for a guy, I'm looking for a woman, I'm looking for a leader whose heart is fully mine. And for 36 years, that was you, Esau. And he goes, I don't know what's going on with you now. He uses the word foolish. That's Bible speak for don't keep living the way you're living. It's foolishness. What's he doing? He's forming a treaty. A little bit later, you'll read, he throws Hanani in jail. He throws the prophet in prison. The guy's just trying to do his job. And then he starts oppressing the people. That's foolishness. That's the last five years of Esau's life. I don't listen to God. I'm going to put the seer in jail. I'm going to buy off the military strategy I need to buy off. I'm going to start oppressing the people. And then here's how it goes out, verse 12, in the 39th year of his reign, Asa was afflicted with a disease in his feet. Though his disease was severe, even in his illness, he did not seek help from the Lord, but only from the physicians. Church, I could get all wound up on this point for a minute, but physicians, we are so grateful for you. Thank you for all that you do. We are grateful when we have things breaking down with our bodies. We've got super smart people to go to. But hear this, the Lord right here is calling out, hey, Esau, you're running to the doctor's office over and over for the issue with your feet. Have you ever thought about praying? We don't get any recorded in the last five years, not one recorded prayer from Esau, not one calling out to seek God. So, it should be, hey, go to the doctor's office, yes, and seek the Lord. Pray, call out to God depend on God. Remember, repentance precedes renewal. Renewal manifests in deeply rooted dependence on God. That, Esau, do you remember that? No, because he threw Hanani in prison. And so this is the third principle from Esau's life, and where we'll draw it to a close this morning. Sobering principle, I think. There's something about this default mode in the human experience. Our default mode is self-reliance. We default to self. Am I the only one that notices this? Like, self. I'm amazed at how maybe like seven in the morning, I've got a great time in the Word and prayer and fasting and seeking God, and, and by 10 o'clock, I, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm relying on myself. What happened? It's this. I'm a mixed bag. Listen to how John Eldridge put I put this quote in your notes because I wanted you to have it. One of the greatest embarrassments of Christianity, something that distresses Christians and non Christians alike, hear this, is the fact that people who have aligned themselves with Jesus Christ can act in such vain, stupid, pompous, mean, and hateful ways. The simple explanation is they've continued to operate from the self life. Now, certainly none of us, but let's just imagine. <laughs> just imagine. Church, if you haven't discovered it yet, here's a key part on the spiritual journey. Self is a really poor Savior and a completely empty God. Self is a poor Savior and an empty God. And God has given self to Like we have this self-life. Here is Self is to be surrendered, hear this, not relied upon. The call with Jesus, surrender self. Don't rely upon it. Have you noticed what happens in our lives when we live completely self-reliant? Have you noticed how anxious and exhausted we become? Because no matter how hard you work at running your one and only life, you can't quite get it right. Right? No matter how many consultants you have, no matter how many counselors you see, no matter how many great friends you have, you just can't quite relying on yourself doing it in your own wisdom and strength. Is, ah, that because self was never made to be fully relied upon. Self was given to us to be surrendered, and we're going to get into this more in the weeks ahead. But I want to invite the worship team, come on back up, guys. And I want to close with three questions. I'd like you to reflect on these questions for the week ahead, okay? First question is this, from Esau's life, the principle of repentance preceding renewal. Where do you hear the voice of Jesus in your life these days saying, hey, this, this high place, this sacred stone needs to come down? In a more modern day language, it'd be, hey, the direction and priorities you're keeping here need to change. There needs to be a turning. Where do you hear that? Where's the spirit stirring up like this change needs to happen, this priority needs to shift, these values, The What, what is? where is that? That cleansing movement. It could be as aggressive as smashing and cutting down. That, I mean, you walk with Jesus long enough, you get to those places where you just say, enough's enough, and you engage your will and say, I'm done with that. Could be a very secret battle that you're going through, or it could be something a lot more public. Whatever it is, where's that movement going on? Second question, renewal manifesting in deeply rooted dependence. What are you wrestling with inside here? What do you hold a tight grip on right now? where you've been desperately asking God, say, God, I just want to know how this is going to soar. I just want to know where this is headed. I just want to know how this is going to work out. And you hear Jesus today saying to you, hey, you may not know all the outcomes, but you know this, wherever all this is heading, I'll be there. And that'll be enough for you. Where's that space in your life right now where you just need, like what Natalie Grant and Bertie Herms heard in that doctor's office, no idea where all that's going, but they knew God was there, and that's enough. And then thirdly, this relentless pull to self-reliance. Where do you feel the self-life rising up and exerting, like trying to exert itself strongly these days? Or do you feel it's just you know, you just you just know you're like For me, it's like A.W. Tozer said, the difference between the absolutely holy and the horribly demonic is like that much. I'm like, ooh, I feel like much more. I live right there. You just go, I'm just, oh, I'm right there. What, where do you feel it? And to name it, and to say this, Jesus, I surrender self. I turn from relying on self, and I turn to surrender self to you. Because I want something far more than the self-life. I want you. And the commentary on Asa's story is, disease in his feet, goes to the doctor's office, never seeks the Lord, the text says, and he died. He exited the story. 36 years, depending on God, the last five relying on self I suspect we'll see Asa in glory I think he knows God deep down in his heart just like us but I think when we see him he's probably going to have a lot of commentary about the mixed bag and how desperately we need Jesus' help by the Holy Spirit we can't do this on our own so let's pray together Father thank you for seeing the wisdom of preserving a story in your word that has such application today. And boy, over these next 10 days, if we've ever needed a word about resting in this fact that you have gone before us and wherever all this is headed, you're there, would you give us the gift of this, the gift of that'll be enough. Open our eyes to see the things that need to be turned from. Give us a heart of repentance to turn to you. Call us, Lord, to our knees in dependence on you. Teach us how to be a people of prayer. And then by the power of your Spirit, bring us to the place where self is surrendered and no longer relied upon. Pour out your Spirit in our hearts, we pray.